Robert and Tim Brass. I'm Carson Stooley. This is Fangraphs Studio. My guest in this edition of Fangraphs Studio is formerly a Pirates Beat reporter for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Is currently a contributor to Fangraphs.com. He has authored Big Data Baseball, the Pirates' use of data during the return to relevance. And he is currently authoring, or so we've been told, he is currently authoring a book with the ringers Ben Lindbergh, tentatively titled The Makeover Machine. It is Travis Sochik. Travis Sochik is the guest, and as he does periodically, Travis Sochik joins us here to discuss the world of baseball and ideas, or baseball and the world of ideas, or baseball and ideas. In this edition of the program, the competitive advantage provided by a multi-positional catcher as a player who can catch and also play one other position. Austin Barnes, second base, Evan Gaddis, outfield, Russell Martin, an array of positions. I guess. Travis Hotchick explored this phenomenon recently in the electronic pages, and he discusses it here with his human voice. Also, how Harlow's monkey experiment might help one better understand the love-hate relationship with television broadcasters. In a note regarding this portion of the conversation, I do not actually recall many of the details of Harlow's monkey experiment correctly. However, Sochik makes the discussion worthwhile by recounting his own interview with White Sox play-by-play announcer Jason Benetti, one of the very good and sharp and good announcers in the game today. Finally, and also regarding the White Sox, a case of mistaken identity in the clubhouse. Uh, Sochek recently sought out an interview with Chicago's Matt Davidson, who's hitting very well for that club, and he did find someone named Matt. He definitely conducted a brief interview with a White Sox player named Matt. I, I presumed it was Matt Davidson. Uh, and I said, hey Matt, do you have a minute? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and his, his name was also Matt. The compelling details of that story to follow, but first, it is both my privilege and also my professional obligation to announce that Fangraphs memberships exist. For a reasonable sum, readers of Fangraphs.com can support the great work that appears at that site, and for a slightly less reasonable sum, not unreasonable, but slightly less reasonable, readers can acquire what is known as an ad-free membership, which allows them to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership Available only, of course, at Fangraphs.com by going to that URL, www.fangraphs.com, and clicking around a little bit. With that advertisement now complete, let us move on to our conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? The dear, dear Travis Sochik. And when does it begin? Right now. just how you generally go through the day yeah yeah total ego what do you uh what's your words per minute you sense I, not the exact figure but just like how do you feel like it relates to people around you my words per minute yeah uh, that's a good question i don't what's i don't even what's a good number why well, that's why i'm saying i don't know if, if the number precisely is that thing for which i'm looking but do, how does it compare to the people in your life like is sam a talker your son Sam. <laughs> he is. Yeah. He's a talker. He's a talker. <laughs> he is. I don't know what my words per minute. I thought you meant typing skills at first. No. You, I, you mean speaking. Yeah. Hmm. Well, let's look for a replacement level. I feel like uh in groups sometimes you are the sort who will only will make will add to the conversation if you feel as though you have something worth saying. Whereas not all of us are governed by that principle. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am governed by ruthless efficiency. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Some of us. You, you must be referring to our staff meetings. 
<laughs> well, that's well, that's one one situation. We've also uh, we also ate at some sort of taqueria near Disney, which is where um, oh yeah, a lot of business is conducted. Oh, right. Yeah. No. And and you do you you don't seem necessarily to contribute unless you feel uh, there is some some cause for you to do so. Whereas again, others of us. <laughs> uh, just we just talk to know we're alive. Yeah, I've, and hey, that's not a bad thing, right? I don't if know. if you didn't exist, we wouldn't have the st- staff meeting. It would be over in three minutes. <laughs> Do you have any? What are your impressions of staff meeting? Oh, I love them. <laughs> Do you? Uh, I mean, sometimes they're productive. Yeah, yeah. My general experience with meetings, though, is they're often not as productive as they're intended. Yeah. Now you come from. Uh, you come from an, an industry which, uh, which, albeit similar to the sort of things we do at Fangraphs.com, I assume that newspapers seem to to have a kind of professionalism uh, <laughs> that uh, that we lack as, uh, a, as a as a team of dirty webloggers. I think yeah, it varies. Is it yeah? But like the but newspapers but, love to have meetings, and back when they're I guess there's still some newspapers that are printing pages. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, you had to, or I guess they still do. I don't, you go in for your 3 p.m. meeting and you determine what story is going to lead the front page and what are the reporters, what have they unearthed today. Uh, so that that's a really important meeting, right? You're, you're designating importance and weight to certain stories. And so wait, now when you, were, when you were writing sports, would you attend the 3 p.m. meeting? No, no. Okay. Ju- that would just be like the sports editor. Unless you had... A story of great importance, which I rarely did, and uh, <laughs> and people above the sports editor wanted to make sure uh, you know that the newspaper wasn't going to be sued for libel or something. But I, that that would be atypical. But yeah, t- there was a, always a three p.m. I think editors meeting, uh, and then we would have like Sunday planning meetings, occasional staff meetings, baseball coverage planning meetings. Newspapers love meetings, love to meet. And sometimes ideas were were created there. Yeah, sure. The origin is traced there, so there is value. You see, sometimes you went over it a little bit, but like, um, what is like precisely for, for as far as you were concerned? What were your? Did you have a daily meeting? Did you have a daily meeting? I'm trying to think, I think we had weekly baseball hmm. beat coverage meetings, and then right. if we had a special section or season preview, we'd have a meeting to design that printed product. I think. Meetings are less necessary when you don't have to worry about, on this date, we're going to roll off X number of pages off the printing press, and something needs to be on them. <laughs> so I think that is maybe why there are more meetings in traditional media. I don't, I don't know. Like, we had, like, Fangraphs went without a regular staff meeting for a long time. Right? Yeah, we did. Under the reign of David Cameron. Right, yeah. And then he left, and we had to figure out what, what his job was. <laughs> yeah. Trying to figure out what's on the front page of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review today. It's actually harder to uh, harder to do than one might imagine. Yeah, and they don't print the paper in Pittsburgh anymore. There's still suburban printed editions, but as Pittsburgh City, it doesn't exist as a printed product anymore, only online. No. Yes. Well, when did that happen? Shortly before I arrived at Fangraphs. Oh, really? Yeah. So the Tribune Review does not exist within the city limits in a print version. It used to. It no longer does. No longer so does. so the Post Gazette is the only paper in the city. Hmm. Uh, now, when you ended your tenure there, or in your your last days there, could you actually see your articles in print? No, I couldn't. No. Uh, and they had stopped newspaper delivery in certain parts of the of the city. I lived in Mount Lebanon, as you recall. Yeah, I do recall that. Yeah, and. When we first moved there, we could get both newspapers delivered. And then even before they stopped printing, 
the Dead Tree paper edition. They'd mm-hmm. stopped home delivery there. So then I, I didn't see my stories as often. And there's something lost in that because I, I still prefer to read off a printed page. Yeah. And there's, uh, I, and it would be great to just pick up my Matt Davidson post in paper form, right? And that's, there's something lost in not being able to do that. I don't think uh, your GIFs would play as well. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. We no. would need some flip animation. Yeah, the GIFs, the GIFs are great. How, how would this work if we were in a meeting and we were in the newspaper? Would I say something like this? Like if I were your editor, I was just like, Satrick, what do you got? Yeah, yeah, that's a lot like it. Really? Uh, yeah. Hey, Satrick, what do you got? Yeah. And then what do you say? What do you, do you got? I would say, uh, nothing, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. Slim pickings. Yeah. Is I that like, what you'd say? Man, I'm really working on this. Uh, what did I do this week? Well, you did Matt Davidson. Oh, yeah. I, Davidson, and I got this great piece on Platoon Advantage of Catcher. Now, a story like that would not be published in a newspaper. What do you think about the title change on that? Ultimately, when with the Astros' quiet catching advantage, I believe yours was the something, the, the untapped potential of a positional platoon, maybe. <sighs> and now I know sometimes, listen. Yeah. Uh, we, hey, hey, hey. You've hey. made some great headlines. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> You feel like you feel like it was uh, in this case it was unnecessary. There seems to be a lack of trust in <laughs> my headline writing ability. <laughs> so even a perfectly competent headline will often be changed. Now, sometimes, like with the Adam Adafito piece, that was a great headline, and I think mm-hmm. it helped the story a lot. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the Astros headline, but mm-hmm. I wasn't. While the Astros were, the, they were the focus, but they didn't have the top advantage, okay. uh, like the Dodgers did. So the I Dodgers it, did, yeah. People, yeah and, so I and, felt that could be somewhat misleading. Yeah. No, the Astros, they do have Although the three the Dodgers, catchers. The, the Dodgers do not have, so the Dodgers have the platoon advantage, but I what I felt the piece was, was the Astros not, I mean, having a switch hitting catcher is a rare thing, right? We should have more meetings. <laughs> the, um, that's a that's a rare that's a rare thing so it's just like is it the, the dodgers the dodgers do have the platoon advantage but mostly the article could be called like dodgers have yasmani grandal right right uh, that's the, kind of headline but what now, yes the the astros are carrying three catchers the dodgers are not they don't have the luxury of a switch hitting catcher the astros do that's true right and evan gaddis evan gaddis is the he's the interesting piece of that equation. He hasn't caught as much. He's only caught four innings this year. He caught 413, I think, last mm-hmm. season. But he's still a safety net. Like, if they needed, if they pinch hit McCann, Stacy, Stasi. St- Max Stasi. 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 And he got hurt. Not Stasi, though, because that was the <laughs> um, that was the secret police of East Germany. <laughs> it's different. That is different. Yeah, yes. Yes. So he's still a viable safety net. Excuse me, I am I'm battling, I think seasonal allergies and a sinus infection. But yeah, uh, no, that's okay. Yeah, you're. Uh, it's not really bothering anyone. Yeah, I mean, only the most sensitive among us. Yeah, mostly I just want you to know how how hard I'm working for you. <laughs> Fangraphs did this to you. <laughs> no, so it's interesting, right? Uh, if you are constructing a roster. In part, you attempt to make it as ruthlessly efficient as possible. That's the Travis, the Travis Ocek model. <laughs> right. But you also have to go about accounting for how the actual humans on that roster will respond to their roles, right? And also how the manager and, and field staff will respond to it. And managers, I guess rightly or wrongly, have, uh, I think, almost uniformly exhibited a, a real reluctance to play their backup catcher 
They have. And uh, because if there's no one else to catch, it, it would. Uh, I think they sense that everything would fall apart. And maybe, maybe they're not necessarily. Maybe they overestimate the risk. But maybe that that if the if something were to pass, where the team was forced to deploy a non-catcher in a catching role, that that would cause a kind of um, anxiety among everyone that you know ought best to be avoided. So maybe there is some some wisdom to it. That's not the point, though. It, what it, what what really seems as though uh, the Astros have done is almost perhaps not consciously, although the Astros are a team to to which I give you. I guess you give the benefit of the doubt because they've done another. Uh, they've made a number of other smart choices. So perhaps they are aware of this. They're aware of maybe AJ Hinch specifically, or managers in general, their reluctance to pinch hit uh, one catcher with another, or use the, their backup catcher in any capacity. And so they say, well, listen, you can use uh, Stasi, who bats right-handed, to, to pinch hit for McCann because Evan Gaddis is here, right? He's not great, but he's played a bunch of catcher, right? And uh, so the floor. Uh, so there is a floor to how ineffective that catcher would be. Maybe you're losing a pitch here or there because of framing. Maybe his the way he controls the running game is not as slick. But he's uh, he. It's not going to be like just putting any old field player back there either. Yeah, I think that's all true. And I think it's interesting that you said earlier that managers typically are too concerned about losing their backup catcher. It's almost like buying insurance. You're probably never going to need it. But their fear is one time they do, they don't have the second catcher. And we probably see more position players pitch than we see them non-catcher position players get forced to catch during the season, I would think. So there's a real fear there. and there's But there's also an opportunity because as Sean Doliner helped me with, beyond non-pitchers, catchers have the lowest platoon advantage amongst hitters this season. And I think that that fear speaks to that. Also, it's difficult to find left-handed hitting catchers. There are not a ton of those guys that hit or hit at all. So there's other some other complicating issues there. But the Astros, have, they've tried to take advantage of that a little bit. It was Friday night when Hinch pinch hit Stasi for McCann in the seventh inning. And you just don't see that very often. The Indians have brought their left-handed specialist Tyler Olsen out, and he made that that change, and you just don't see that very often. So that caught my attention. That's really why I wrote about it. And it, it does seem they're, I don't know if I'm actually answering your question, but the Astros are up to something. And there does seem like they're consciously trying to take advantage of, of this as, as well as they can. And it's just another very small area of uh, untapped potential, platoon value potential that they're uh, they're digging into. I think, I don't know if it's on purpose or by accident, Travis, but you but you actually made, you made an interesting point. <laughs> Which is that uh, one is more likely to observe a position player pitching than playing catcher, and uh, I had never, uh, I had never actually considered it, but uh, I think you're true. I think you're right. Yeah, it's, I think that's right. Yeah, that sounds right to me. Yeah, and I was thinking, like, uh, now what do you think is second? Do you think, I mean, short shortstop has to be? <laughs> there are only certain types of fielders are going to get placed at shortstop as well, right? Shortstop, center field, maybe. I guess we would go down like the platoon advantage list, and it's pitcher, catcher, shortstop. Yeah. But there are, like, if you put a second baseman at shortstop for a few innings, that's not as noteworthy. Where... Russell Martin has to probably be the least likely <laughs> shortstop this year, right? I'm, I'm, yes. I'm looking at the list. Yes. I'm looking at the list of players who've played shortstop. I've, what I've done is I've reverse sorted by innings deployed. <laughs> yeah. And um, even even at the top, there are a bunch of names that make sense. I mean, like Jonathan Scope played for a couple innings here and there. Christian Villanueva in the Padres is probably not what you consider 
a sort of prototypical shortstop, but he plays third base, so moving over a little bit isn't crazy. Uh, Drew Robinson is, I don't know if he's still technically a prospect or not, but he I know he played quite a bit of middle infield for the Rangers in the, the minor leagues. And yeah, and then you and then you come across Russell Martin. There's no one really who sticks out, I think, to that degree. I don't necessarily know what Nico Goodrum on Detroit, I don't necessarily know what his positional history is, but there are a lot of, but most of the players you find who have um, appeared there, you know, with any sort of, less than any sort of frequency, who have appeared there at all, have some claim on the position. Oh. Um, and those are the only three positions that don't hold a platoon advantage above 50%. Right. And I suppose, so any infield position plus catcher, well, no, not any infield, second, second, third, and short plus catcher are... They're going to be hamstrung in that way too, right? Because you don't find any lefty throwers at those positions, so you're only you're only going to be dealing with people who who throw the ball uh, with their right hand. So it makes more sense that they bat right-handed in those cases too. Uh, but second base, as you know, second and third, they they have the positional advantage more often, right? They do, they do. Yeah, everybody else is every other position is above fifty percent. Yeah, which is kind of interesting because it's not limiting them. Yeah, some are above sixty percent. So to return, that's why. I. <laughs> uh, that's why uh, Travis Ojek, I called it the Astros' uh, quiet advantage. <laughs> I was also trying to get a team name uh, in there ah. because sometimes if you write it for ever everyone for just on an idea, then you do not give people an an opportunity to click on it. You know what I'm saying? I remember how we had that long talk deep into the night about search engine optimization. <laughs> Did we really? Hey. Yeah, who am I to criticize you? You're, <laughs> you're Travis Sotrick. Yeah, I mean, I guess I did. But, but yeah, it was maybe you, you just made your point. I'm only working with the information that I have. You just won the jury, I think. You think so? Yeah. Is this, was this... yeah. Try, hey, try and find a jury of my peers. I dare you. <laughs> yeah, so I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Now, I'm looking, I'm looking at Russell Martin's game log, and yep. he played catcher and shortstop on May 15th mm-hmm. at the Mets. That's you weird. You, you don't, don't see play, that. You don't see that a lot. Although they're actually the Rangers currently have a player, Kiner Felifa, Kiner Felifa, Kiner Isaiah Kiner Felifa, who I don't know if he's actually been deployed as a catcher in the major leagues, but he's played a bunch of catcher in the minors and also shortstop this year. But no, you're uh, no, uh, and uh, Austin Barnes um, has played a bunch of second base this year. Does yes. that, doesn't that sound right to you? And he did some of that last year. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, that's interesting. He's got the Craig Biggio thing going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a creative. I mean, that's a way to maximize that roster spot rather than that second catcher who only plays a couple of times a week and is rarely ever employed to try to take advantage of a platoon situation. So it's an underutilized roster spot in this age of trying to squeeze efficiency out of everything. Would that be your? Uh, would that be one of your mandates as as a uh, general manager, or maybe uh, if you were if you were asked not on not on like uh, erstwhile managing editor Dave Cameron, if you were asked to. Head up a research and develop de- development department. <laughs> You'd say right away, we need to get we need to get some catchers out there. Yeah, you know, playing in the I don't know. I, I guess it's not the outfield necessarily. Playing infield or outfield beyond just catching. Yeah, I, I got this. We have twenty five roster spots, mm-hmm. and one of them or a few of them are not being maximized. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. So so let's do something about that. Come on, guys. What do you yeah. got? Austin Barnes played catcher in second base on May twelfth. Interesting. Yeah. May twelfth. Yeah. Now, would you, if you were at the Dodgers, do you think you would have a third catcher? Uh, would you have a third catcher, or do you think just having two catchers with one of them kind of roving positionally is, makes sense? No, I think that's okay. Because then you're again concerned about 
oh, what if my second catcher gets hurt? And I right. just think that's kind of irrational. Yeah, that might happen one time during the season. And maybe, who would you put back there? <laughs> if you pinch hit Barnes against a lefty for Grandall late in the game, and then Barnes took a foul tip off his hand. I don't know. Right. You'd put someone back there for a few innings. Oh, yeah. I don't know. who who uh, Kike Hernandez? <laughs> maybe. Plays a number of other positions, right? Yeah. A healthy Justin Turner? You feel comfortable doing that? Turner? I wouldn't want a star-level player to get injured. I'd want to use a pawn. It's <laughs> 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 um, kind of you. Yeah. But yeah, it is a highly specialized position, so we understand some of the fear, but it's an irrational fear. That's why insurance companies exist, I guess. To uh, take advantage of people? <laughs> Actually, the, the Dodgers also... Uh, they also employ Kyle Farmer, who's I believe he's currently in the minor leagues, but he has played uh, he has played catcher. He played two innings of catcher this year, and he's also played a bunch of third base. Yeah. I mean, what um, you'll notice is on I think some of the wild card rosters we've we've often seen a third catcher for this very reason, right? To gain platoon advantage later in the game if necessary. Mm-hmm. But you would I think you would still maintain that uh, it's there's an abundance of caution being being shown. I would. Uh, yeah. But I bring that up because that's a must-win situation. So how are people constructing their rosters? And you don't need quite as many pitchers. But it does suggest that, hey, there, there's an opportunity here to try to swing advantage in a late game, middle inning at bat. So if we're doing it in that situation, why aren't you trying to do that in every or, or more often? This could be my lasting legacy. <laughs> Fighting for more usage, more platoon for the for catching catcher. position. Do, yeah. do you sense that... Now you mentioned a, a must-win situation. Do you sense that m- that much of baseball strategy that's used during the regular season is kind of uh, slowly is like slowly drifting towards how baseball games are managed in in must-win situations? A little bit, but we're still not we're not really close though. I didn't say uh, we're close. I said, do you think yeah. it's slowly <laughs> moving in that direction? Sorry, sorry. It. Let me listen carefully. Emphasis on strikeouts, <laughs> right? Right. Bullpen innings. Bullpen innings increasing. Tampa Bay using the opener. Uh, and I th- didn't the Padres employ this practice too? Maybe they have. Yeah. Yeah. So really trying to play up the uh, platoon advantage aspect of pitching and trying to get starter or traditional starters deeper in games. Right. Any sort of run prevention techniques that are, would be possible. Yeah. It seems, it just seems to me that, you know, the playoffs beyond whatever kind of entertainment value they might possess and, and offer in the way of, you know, sort of, um, seasonal leverage or championship leverage index, uh, they also serve as a bit of a laboratory. They do. For the regular season. There's always that, um, I don't know how you would necessarily measure it, right? But uh, more, more recently, you could talk about the Andrew Miller effect, but there are probably some other developments that have come out of it Well, as well. I mean, you've mentioned the, the use of three catchers, perhaps, uh, from what I understand, reading uh, Fangraphs.com, this is spreading like wildfire. <laughs> <laughs> It is a laboratory, and yeah. so more teams should. It's much different, I, I get it, to manage the marathon 162-game, 185-day aspect of a, of a season. But there's probably more that can be borrowed from that laboratory, is, especially with the 10-day DL and being all able to manipulate rosters a little bit more. I don't know. I, th- I think we've hit on something, though. Is this a, the is this the sort of uh, discussion that, that one is probably going to find in um, in a book you're, you're writing, which is tentatively titled The Makeover Machine? <laughs> writing with Ben Lindbergh. Uh This very discussion? I don't I don't think so. No? No. You got chapter titles yet? We have, when you propose a book, or at least, you know, Michael Lewis probably doesn't have to do this. But for, uh, he, I think he'd probably just walk in and say, hey, I'm 
yeah, I want to write this book. And they're like, okay, whatever, sir. Yeah. Here's your check. But for, for everyone else or for, for the vast majority of authors, you have to create a, a proposal and you have to have a, a proposed table of contents with chapter titles and mm -hmm. brief descriptions of what will occur, what will be contained in that chapter. So yeah, we do have some title chapters, but I can't tell you, I can't tell you anything about it. Can't tell anything. Yeah. So. yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, I can tell you when we, when we meet in Denver. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 I, that'd be off the record. Off the record. I'm, fam I'm familiar enough with journalism to <laughs> that. Uh, let me ask you about, no, I don't know. You, maybe you were fighting a cold. So in, in this case, you're, uh, it was a heroic deed. Uh, you went over to, I think you went over to um, Cleveland's, what, Progressive Field? Is that still called Progressive Field? I did. Yeah. 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 And you, because uh, the White Sox weren't down. I, I know, I think you spoke, you spoke with at least one, if not two uh, persons of interest. Does that sound right? No fewer than three. two? Three. Three. Yeah. Matt uh, Davidson is one of them. Yes. You wrote about him for today. I did. Who were the other two? Oh, uh, one of your favorite announcers, mm -hmm. Jason Benetti. Jason Benetti. Yes. So I think that's going to be more of a Q&A format. Yeah, that's fine. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. I mean, whatever. I mean, who cares what I say? Let's hear what Jason has to say. Yeah. Get out of the way, buddy. But I, I did want to talk to him because he seems like he's part of the new generation of announcer, right? Like he hosted... Saber seminar. The White Sox have used weighted runs created plus on their telecasts. So I was curious to see, to get his thoughts on how he prepares, where he thinks his profession, the craft is going. I think we need more Benettis. Yeah. I don't want to be hypercritical, but I have had the MLB extra innings package for several years. And I, th I don't know, I, I flip around, I hear the, bro I think the broadcasts, many of them could be better. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, can I tell you how I feel about broadcasts? And I'm going to cite a social a study from the social sciences that may or may not actually exist, but for some reason in my head it does. <laughs> no, here's the, here's how it is. When I when I uh, th this is uh, this is these are my feelings about listening to a broadcast versus what one might one might initially suspect to be a superior option, which is in some cases, if you're not necessarily wild about the the broadcast team, is to listen with the the natural stadium noise, natural park noise, right? That's an option frequently if you're using MLB.tv. So, okay. and, and I've tried it before. Yeah. And I do not care for it. Is what I is the the conclusion at which I arrived. I said, oh, this is not necessarily my favorite broadcast team. I will now use the natural park noises. And I still preferred the broadcast team that I considered subpar to simply stadium noise. And here is why I think that. It, Here's something That'd I think be, that explains. You should tell it. any broadcaster you run into. You should tell them that I prefer okay. you to natural stadium noise. Yes. Yeah. So, but he, he, here's why I think that happens. There was a study. I was one time with a friend who had uh, was a social who's a social worker, and I said, I said, uh, I might have a child someday. What? <laughs> Tell me this. What was the look on his face? <laughs> <laughs> he was he was dialing. He was calling the police. He, he, he said no. He said, uh, and I said, what's the least I can do to have the most the greatest benefit uh, with on my child? Right. Okay. What's like the, the, the least energy required of me to do the best job as a parent? And what he said was, just be there for your child physically. Like, you know, like uh, let your child hug you, essentially. Or, you know, jump on you just to maintain uh, some sort of contact. And he said that a study had been done with uh, some sort of primate, not humans. And one, of the, <laughs> one of the ones with, with which we test. Say, let's say... Uh, let's say chimpanzees. We're going to say chimpanzees, right? And in, in, in this particular 
study in this experiment there were you know essentially two cases one of them was um, baby chimpanzees interacting with their real mother and another one was baby chimpanzees interacting with like a seri- like essentially like a um, a thorny pile of <laughs> of metal right yeah i've read a similar study yeah, yeah. what what is this thing uh, barbed wire. Essentially, it was like a like a, an amalgamation of uh, barbed wire all <laughs> heaped together, like roughly in the shape of a mother chimpanzee. And uh, despite the fact that it physically hurt them to do so, the baby chimpanzees still insisted on maintaining some sort of physical contact with this barbed wire chimpanzee. <laughs> and that was part of it, right? And then what they found afterwards, and this is not as related to the baseball conversation, but those uh, chimpanzees that had the barbed wire mother, you know? Yes. They uh, experienced all sorts of like uh, anxiety-related conditions, etc. So it was bad for them. But I feel as though maybe, I feel as though I, I am like those baby chimpanzees and maybe what I would consider <laughs> the subpar broadcasting teams are like those barbed wire, <laughs> barbed wire mother chimps because no matter how uncomfortable they make me feel i'm i'm still i still gravitate towards them it's because it's the very concept of the thing like you want someone to especially if you're watching a game alone i feel like for me at least i would like someone to be observing it and digesting it in a way that i mean at the very least i i just lack the requisite energy for (laughs) i don't know what do you think about this what do you think about this theory sachuk um, makes total sense, and I'm mm-hmm. sure most people would prefer the human voice to you know the ambient stadium noise. Yeah, have, now have you tried it uh, this setting, like you know with the the ambient noise? I haven't. I mean, I I don't mute the television if they're even if I'm watching a game. I don't care for the broadcast crew. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm really gutting through this. <laughs> You're a hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm totally on board with that, but but. This is, you know, the average game's three hours, not including commercials. Well, broadcast time, not including. It's like two hours and 40 minutes or something. And I think there should be a high standard of expectation where someone might spend 10 minutes with my post or Jeff Sullivan's posts or 30 minutes with this podcast. But they have an audience's ear if they listen to the game wire to wire for two and a half hours. They can be informing, entertaining. I think it's a job where there should be a lot of... A lot of people would want that job. It should be a great responsibility taken and having it. You inform the audience, I would argue, more than any other uh, media person that covers the team. So I I don't know. Sometimes I feel like guys just show up a half hour for the game, do no research. Yeah, that sounds better. I mean, as a yeah. lifestyle, that sounds better. Yeah, as a lifestyle. But if you've chosen this lifestyle, I think you know a lot of people, and there are great broadcasters out there, as we know. They're like any field. And I think Benetti, I think, you, I think Benetti's... One of the, the great broadcasters of the game certainly is the second youngest, I think. And I hope he's sort of on the... I hope there's more like him that follow oh, the yeah. field. Yeah. Because not only is he into the advanced metrics and fan analysis, but he would really pride himself. He would tell you he's a storyteller. And that's what he's mostly concerned about. He still thinks the humanity part of the broadcast is very important. Both days I was in the White Sox clubhouse. He was in there talking to players. So I think that hybrid kind of doing boots-on-the-ground reporting in Clubhouse before a game to learn more about players and share that on broadcast with the more sophisticated analysis, which he has pushed. I would like to see the role go there. Now, this is a Fangraphs audio podcast, so we're albeit biased. And there is a consideration that a broadcast has to be concerned with a much wider... They have to be concerned with multiple demographics. 
and some people do not care to learn about WOBA, Weighted Runs Created Plus. But I also think there's a responsibility to push out lesser information for superior information. So there's also that obligation. And now I'm ending my rant. No, that's fine. Yeah. You mentioned that Benetti is a storyteller. Do you have a sense that covering the White Sox this year, that particular story <laughs> bears maybe a, something resembles to like something Kafka might write? It's more of it's a, it's a dark kind of Eastern European story <laughs> right. for the moment. It is, but you know, those can be great stories. Yeah, he was. I think he's generally regarded as being pretty decent. Uh, well, what's interesting is talking to uh, Benetti about this is, you know, there's the macro level, big picture view, where mm-hmm. I think a lot of us understand where the White Sox are going, and a lot of us have applauded moves they've made. You know, call it tanking or whatever, but they've soberly diagnosed where they were, and they've made trades with an eye on collecting future assets, which uh, is what they should do. But... Uh, and he is cognizant of that as a broadcaster, but he's also aware that there's 25 people at the clubhouse that are the pinnacle of their craft, that don't want to lose their jobs, and that are competing very hard every day to impress the in-house evaluators and to keep those jobs, and they know there's talent coming beneath them. So it's sort of like you have to be aware, I think he said, of the myopic and the, the grander view of things, too. And so he's it's, he's kind of in an interesting season and place to be as a broadcaster. He's in a very extreme place on the on the wind curve. Uh, you said you, so. You mentioned Davidson. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Benetti. Who is your third, though? <laughs> it's a secret. Is it? <laughs> I have a good story, but I, I can't. I don't know if I should tell it on air or, or pot about it. I mean, uh... now you want to know? Yeah, I do. It's yeah. actually really embarrassing. So. Oh, is it you acting like an ass at some level? No, no, it's me making a mistake with this player. Oh, that but, sounds fun. Yeah. Can you present any? Can you present a portion of the story that would give us some satisfaction? I'll just lose all like credibility. Yeah, uh, I mean to be fair, you didn't. You didn't have a lot. Of <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I actually brought in to this podcast. Well, we could talk about your credibility for one second, maybe while you mull <laughs> over whether you should talk about. It, but uh, I don't necessarily know if people like a uh, behind-the-scenes look, a BTS look at uh, how FanGraphs the articles are made. But I recently had uh, the misfortune of hurting your credibility. Yes, deeply. <laughs> yes, yeah, deeply you, wounded. You were you were writing you were writing a piece in which it, oh yeah you're writing a piece about Aaron Judge and how he has I think he's got something like the worst called strike zone in the majors isn't that right? Right. Yeah, I wrote something last year about it, and it's even worse this year. It's even like, worse this year, yeah. right? And that's that's a great observation. Obviously, made even more not I don't know urgent but more compelling by the fact that Judge is one of the very best players in the game it turns out that at least according to the voters he was not the best player in the, in the American League last year however <laughs> <laughs> through some sort of uh, editorial oversight maybe perhaps uh, omitting a couple words here but forgetting to change some other language there in your piece, it appeared as though you were claiming that Aaron Judge had won the American League MVP last year. Yes, my my name was attached to that. Yeah, and it was an award that was actually won won by Jose Altuve. Yes, and uh, I read it. I might I might have even made the wrong edit, but I read it and I said, "Yeah, good old Aaron Judge." <laughs> the, uh, amazing year, amazing year. Yeah, great year. Culminating in the <laughs> and the most valuable MVP. player award for this league. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, we just went ahead and hit publish. <laughs> and um, if there's if there's anything that 
I don't know. It's probably true of um, any sort of publication. People people want the f- people want to make sure everyone's got the facts, right? And uh, but the speed at which people can respond on the internet, combined with the fact that I think I don't know how to do, I measure this objectively, but just to, using my own um, internal compass, I would say that our readers tend to be a bit more concerned about um, making sure that uh, everyone's minded their p's and also their q's, right? Yes. Yeah, dotted yes. their, <laughs> dotted their uh, across their t's and dotted their lowercase j's. Uh, that um, well, anyway, there there were some people who were just trying to help you out, Travis. Yeah, they uh, they quickly alerted me of the issue. Yeah, oh. yeah, and I think that what you really wanted to say, you didn't ultimately. You wanted to say is this is Carson Sestouli's fault. <laughs> did you want to say that? I did, but I I protected you uh, <laughs> until this point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what happened. I re- yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah, I I don't even know what I said to whom because I think I I think I responded in the comment section that the issue had been addressed. <laughs> the issue had been addressed. What I should have said is the party responsible has been spoken with. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that my oversight was more or less severe than the um, oh I don't know the, uh, the the government employee who alerted everyone to. Uh, nuclear missile attack in Hawaii some month or two ago. <laughs> would you say, that, would you say that my incompetence had quite the same sort of uh, consequence that, well, that poor souls did? We must begin with they're, they're both mistakes. Of, uh... <laughs> That's where you'd like to start? Yeah. Uh, as we go through the, the, the kind of the decision tree, you begin with a yes-no, right? <laughs> <laughs> did this person make, make an error? Yeah. So there's that much in common. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there might be another similarity where you both felt confident and, yes, this is correct. There, yeah. uh, Aaron Judge is the LMVP and there's a missile attack happening. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, another place, I don't know how far down the decision tree it would be before you arrived at this juncture, but um, would be, did uh, did your did your decision cause people to fear for their lives? Cause a, cause a, an island full of people to fear for their lives? No. No, no it didn't. Uh, In this yeah. case, it didn't. So that's, that. so if we're going to talk about the ways it was different than the... <laughs> The error regarding the nuclear missile attack on Hawaii, that would be the that would be one of the key ones, I think, right? <laughs> it would. Yeah, okay. All right. That sounds good. Yeah. Hey, as a uh as a recompense um for the both the slings and uh, all the arrows uh, you were forced to endure, I'm gonna give you fifteen minutes off of this edition of Fangraphs Audio. You know your typical obligation is roughly an hour, I think, right? This will be a 45-minute mark recording time and then uh, shortened, of course, by uh, by engineer and editor Dylan Higgins uh, to account for, um, well, all the sections. Uh, here's sort of uh, some of the racist uh, rants that you've gone on during the course of recording. And uh, I don't know if it's good that uh, you, just like Eric Longin, you, you go through these, you just have like a minute or two where you just speak uninterrupted about the merits of uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio down in Arizona. <laughs> I just don't think it's. Uh, I don't think this is a place for it. Um, so we'll probably uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stop now. Though I think is that, is that okay? You feel good about that? Sounds like good. Yeah, I don't have to tell my embarrassing story either. So that's good. Is there any? Is there any opportunity to hear the the embarrassing story? You think in the future? Perhaps it's a story of mistaken identity. You know, I just want you to know before <laughs> well, before we go, 
and before you decide not to tell it, you know, Sarah says, um, as uh, on air told, uh, or not on air, or at least in print, told a story about mistaking one player for another. I'm forgetting precisely who it was. It might have been Mustakas for Hosmer at one point, <laughs> uh, but, but of course, I didn't go well. Now, did you now this player did he censure you in any way? No, he didn't even aware, he was not even aware that I became aware that he was not the person I was looking for. How did you become aware he was not the person? <laughs> He started talking about a previous organization he'd been in, and <laughs> like, well, it... <laughs> oh, so you, so you did not, you did not necessarily address this player by name. I'll just tell you the whole. I'll tell you the whole story. Yeah, let's okay. do it. All right, let's do it. Let's do uh, it. We'll go into it. So I was looking for Matt. We must begin with the facts. Okay. <laughs> at, at, at any point, does this lead to to a nuclear <laughs> missile attack on Hawaii? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, okay. it doesn't. And this is going to be humility at play, right? Mm-hmm. So what we, what you must know first is that I have <laughs> never addressed Matt Davidson in person. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he had, the first day I tried to reach him, he was never in the clubhouse. So I, I came in the second day. Yeah, he's on the DL with the back injury. And apparently he's... So and I think to be treatment. listen. I think to be fair, Matt Davidson. You know, he doesn't have a ton of major league plate appearances. He plays on a team that you wouldn't necessarily go out of your way to watch, and he does have a little bit of a generic ball player look. He's like a strapping well, guy. Yeah, I usually, if I'm unfamiliar with a player, I will look at mug shots before I go in, yeah, just to be sure. And I did that in this case. I looked at his mug shot, mm-hmm. and I looked at the guy sitting in his locker space, and I said, well. I don't know. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I approach. There's a there's a baseball player sitting, and typically players sit before their locker stalls in the clubhouse, and their nameplate is above the stall. Yeah. And there's someone sitting there. A lot of clues. There are a lot of clues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I thought it, I, I presumed it was Matt Davidson, mm. uh, and I said, "Hey, Matt, do you have a minute?" He's like, "Yeah," <laughs> and his his name was also Matt. But it wasn't that this wasn't Matt Davidson. <laughs> so I asked him how I knew he was on the DL, so I asked him how he was feeling. It's like, well, the first two couple of days were crazy, but uh, you know, it's, it's finally calmed down a little bit. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I guess this is Matt Davidson. So we start talking and I tell him that, you know, hey, Jeff Sullivan wrote this piece about you, how you're the most improved hitter in the game early this season. Yeah. And uh he's like, Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, no story had been written about this player by Jeff <laughs> Sullivan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like that you know of. Yeah, and so we start talking about his swing and all this stuff, and he starts talking about how he'd been in the Nationals organization. It's like, yeah. wait a second, <laughs> something's wrong here. And it wasn't a very long interview, so I, I, I knew I had the wrong person at that point, and uh, I just politely ended the conversation. Now, what was your uh, <laughs> when it dawned on you that you were interviewing? <laughs> Matt Skoll. Uh, <laughs> what um, did you produce another question, or were you that were like, yeah, that's great, that's all I need, thanks, Matt? Uh, he was, he did have some interesting backstory in his mm-hmm. what he did this off season, but we were talking about completely different things. We could I could write a Matt Skoll post <laughs> that would actually be someone interesting, but uh, I'm not sure it'd be ethical. <clears throat> yeah. You know, they actually are, uh, they're similarly similarly sized. They are. They're about the similar height. And, you know, if you look, I did not know what Matt Skoll looked like. Yep. I looked at David's mugshot. I'm like, well, like, he looks kind of young, but I guess. He's sitting in his locker. His name's Matt. 
Matt Skull is actually older than Matt Davidson. Yeah. Did you oh, know that? Yeah. He looks younger. Who does? I think Skull looks younger. You think Skull looks younger? But he's <laughs> actually, he's actually older. Matt have actually met both of them. <laughs> 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 but this is not the first time this has happened in the clubhouse. And you have to be careful because guys don't always sit mm-hmm. before their locker stall. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they sit in the locker stall with the first, same first name as the owner of that locker space. So, yes. Be careful out there. Now, how often have you been mistaken for a player and been, uh, you know, you, you get the, surrounded by reporters, Travis, <laughs> and they say uh, that was a big that was a big game you had yesterday. <laughs> that's that's never happened. It's never happened. No, well, I, I did. Would... <laughs> when I was covering Coastal Carolina athletics when I was younger, I walked in. Uh, the football coach had never met me, and. He was concerned I was going to ask about walking on as he looked at my side. <laughs> <at> my... <laughs> He's like, I don't have to t- tell this poor young man no. <laughs> no, no. I'm not a player. Don't worry. David Bennett. Yeah. Yeah, so that's my that's my embarrassing story. That's I don't think that's that bad. I think you I think you're fine. Now the the Coastal Carolina, they're the sh- are they the Chanticleers? Sh- the Chanticleers. What is yes. a Chant Chanticleer? It's out of uh the Canterbury Tales. No. Right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah. They rule the barnyard through cunning and wit. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's like that's the, that's the motto. It's a uh, rooster. It's a rooster like. Uh, maybe it is a rooster. I don't know. Uh, anyway, you don't see the word around the watch, do you? <laughs> All right. You now you have fulfilled your obligation. Thank you so much, Travis Sotrick. <laughs> Thanks, Carson. Uh, My tattered yeah. reputation. Yeah, that has been. Um, <laughs> that has been. <laughs> Deeply flawed uh, baseball journalist Travis Sachik. I'm Carson Destouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.